0: This podcast is brought to you by the Love, Serve, Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. Welcome to the Ramdas Here and Now podcast, and I'm your host, Raghu Marcus. Well, in doing these podcasts over the last, I guess it's a couple of months now, they are new for the offering that we do at Ramdas.org. Um, I just started to listen myself to the actual lectures that we've been presenting after my introductions and these are lectures that came in the late 60s after Ramdas had first come back from India and they they are those lectures which prompted many of us to get over to India at that time in 1970 actually but I hadn't really listened to these lectures in a long, long, long time, and uh, but of course, doing this, I've been listening, and I, I'm actually quite amazed at the relevancy that they have. Not that this kind of wisdom, you know, is a taste of the week kind of a thing, but it certainly is still pretty radical for somebody to have come along at that point in time and have some, you know, serious wisdom about how to move along in this world from a soul point of view rather than an ego point of view and know that there is a way to get happy. I mean, which is, which is a major thing back then for many of us who are pretty depressed individuals. Um, so yeah, just commenting on that and, and, uh, I hope uh, many of you who are listening are really in- enjoying uh, hearing these uh, these words from Ramdas. Um, today, I want to tell of an incident. I think the last couple of web uh, podcasts, not webcasts, I talked about sort of giving a little bit of. Uh, a slice of life, I called it, just a being with Maharaji, just moments where you get an idea of what it was like, because there was no teaching really going on. It was very much uh, in the moment, it relating back and forth with him, and, and him prompting all sorts of uh, know, pretty interesting things, basically reflecting that uh with that pure mind, reflecting the individual everyone's individual stuff. Sometimes wasn't so pleasant. But um this particular incident happened uh in a place called Brindavan, which is where Krishna frolicked with the uh with the uh young women who milked the cows and uh we were staying there, and Maharaji had told us not to come to the ashram for some days. I guess he was <clears throat> bored with us. But one day, uh, Krishnadas, now many of you know who Krishnadas is. He does chanting around the world. And he was the first Westerner with uh, that came with Ram Das in those days that uh, Maharaji really gave the Asherbad to um, kind of lead the way with chanting, which is a major um, method, practice rather, that w- many of us use to this day. And of course, uh, if there's anybody out there that doesn't know who Krishna Das is, actually to this particular audience, which most of you have heard of Ram Das, obviously, or you wouldn't be listening to this, I want someone to write me and say, I never heard of Krishnadas until I heard this podcast. Okay. Info at ramdas.org. Just a little quirky thing here. Um, so I was with Krishnadas. He hurt his knee and he was in a lot of pain and he couldn't walk and he was a little bit nervous being in India with this kind of a an injury. So he said, Would you help me get over to the ashram, which, you know, was about 10 minutes away by rickshaw? And I I just gotta ask Maharaji what to do about this. So off we went. Now, some of this stuff, in order to get my memory straight, I did go back to a diary I had uh, kept back then. And uh, so some of this comes straight from there. Now, Krishnas and I go back and forth a lot. He's told this story many times because there's some elements in it that are pretty amazing. and we do go back and forth from time to time about who re- who remembers what really happened or what he, did he say that word or did he, you know, something like that. So, um, Krishnadas, this is the real thing here. So we got there. And when we got there, Maharaji said, what's wrong? And, you know, we told him and he saw Krishna das holding his knee and then he sent out for some ointment, uh, something he called with the, th- the, the, the guy with the mustache. I can't remember what the heck the name was, Krishna's one. Um, and then Maharaji in one moment. This shows the complete gamut of the love and compassion of this being, That nothing to do with powers or any of that stuff, just caring. And he turned to me, and he, with a very upset look, and he went, "Kia gya, what happened?" He said, "Did any of the mothers come to help?" Meaning many of the Western women. And we said, "Yeah, a couple of them." And then he said to me, "Oh, you served him, you know, and he, oh, you're good." Of course, I got all whoa, I'm puffed up about that. And then he said to me, um you know, completely out of context from Krishna's having this injury, which they were applying the ointment on when he was talking. And he said, what did you do in America? And I uh, said, radio manager, and how much money did you make? Were you on leave? Um, would you go back? I mean, he started talking to me about my work in the middle of all this. Something, this, of course, I never remembered. And then he said, will you Will you go back to that work? And I said, well, I'll do whatever you want, Maharaji. And then he said, well, I'll get you married, which he did sometime later, as crazy as that was. Then, uh, you know, he did the same with Krishnas. You know, he asked him what he did in America and how much money he made. And Krishnas was driving a school bus, I think, before he came. And then he asked about his knee again. Had it hurt before? Yes. And in America? And then he touched... Krishnadas's knee lightly twice and then blew into his hand and touched it again and then Maharaji said what will this medicine do And that you know it had been rubbed in uh, Krishnadas' knee and he said Krishna Das said very cleverly I must say he said it will hide your grace Maharaji <laughs> and true and then some Bhajan went on, some mira bhajan, actually, Krishnadas sang. And uh, it was a very emotional moment, very emotional. And actually, Krishnadas was weeping, and Maharaj said, Why are you crying? Krishnadas said, Just love your love. So, all wrapped up in that moment was tremendous compassion and caring and love, just human, you know? And uh, uh, from there, Suddenly, you know, Maharaji got up and he started walking around the courtyard and he was hanging on to, I think it was Guru Dhat, one of the uh, elder Indian de- devotees, and he was kind of hanging on to him and he was leaning on him. And um, as he was doing that, Maharaja was kind of limping, and Krishna started thinking, "Oh jeez, he's taking the, the pain from my knee." And then he came back and sat down and he said, "You were thinking, I had pain in the knee. You want to give me the medicine?" And Then he put his leg down and he rested it on Krishnadas's leg, rubbing his leg. And then, of course, Krishnas no longer had any pain. That was one moment. Of course, a whole other aspect to who Maharaji is. And then um, the next thing that's this is the part of the story that Krishnadas tells quite a bit. Um, And it is just, you know, an amazing part of the story. But Krishnadas had a diary with him. And just, you know, he used to put all sorts of, aside from whatever Maharaji said, whatever dreams he might have had, he wrote down and so on. He also put down, and we all did this, you know, different quotes and shlokas from holy books of different spiritual traditions. And in this case, he had um, one page that had the Song of Mahamudra, Buddhist, uh, very well-known Buddhist uh, text, uh, amazing text, by Tilopa. And Maharaji looked at it, and I guess Sharma must have translated some of the lines, and Maharaji went, "Bahotacha, bahotacha," And I think, not I think, what I had written down here, which is something I had not remembered, the... The translation that he gave Maharaji was exactly this. If one sees not when staring into space, if with the mind one then observes the mind, one destroys distinctions and reaches Buddhahood. That was uh, the the first uh, stanza that that Krishnas had written into his book. So that was pretty amazing because Krishnas was like, "Oh god, I've got some Buddhist stuff here and we're in the Hindu thing and you know, we were all in our mind about it." And then obviously Maharaji completely nicks that and then he turned the page. And on the next page, Krishnas had put a picture of Maharaji, big picture, covered the whole page. And Maharaji looked at his picture and he said to us, "Kill, who's that?" And we were like, Ha <laughs> of course it's you. And he said, nay, Buddha. So that is a major part of what he passed on to us. That is an essence that is um, something really, really special. From the moment that we went back, with Ramdas, who was back there the second time, from that moment, one of the biggest uh, gifts that Maharaji gave us obviously, love, unconditional love being the foremost, but one of the other biggest gifts that we got was this complete. The idea, completeness of only one. There is only one. He kept saying it over and over and over. There is only one. Buddha, Mohammed, Christ, Krishna. There is only one. And and he said Christ and Hanuman are one about a million times to us. They are the same. So this little incident that happened when we went there because Krishnas's knee was hurting. And we came out of there with this complete, utter evisceration of any idea of singularity of one tradition over another. It was so obvious. And this is how he taught without teaching. And, um, uh, and this is what prompted Ramdas to give to people when he first came back to India. And here is more of that.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Stop for a moment and think about something that you really need to get off your chest. It could be frustration with your job or a coworker. It could be fear or uncertainty about the future. It could be a secret that you've been hiding for years. We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Speaking with a therapist on a regular basis is also a great way to improve your communication skills. Learn to resolve conflict. Increase your self-awareness and self-esteem. Develop positive coping strategies build stronger relationships, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, plus switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot slash Ramdas. To
2: go, you've got to go the whole trip, all the way back before you get to the place where you see that behind all of this, there is all of this in its own, in its unmanifest form, always, eternally, that nothing's really happening at all. Nothing's really happening at all. Nothing ever happens. Nothing's ever going to happen. There's nothing you got to do. There's no doer to do it anyway. It's the grand illusion and all of the groovy trips in astrology and the astral plane and occult powers and all the groovy trips of mind and all the groovy trips of God concepts and ideas and creations and all that it's all stuff beautiful, exquisite I mean oh wow because at every level it's the same trip that the cell and the microcosm and the macrocosm and the macrocosm that's the macrocosm of that including that microcosm, they're all the same repeated over and over again There are certain laws that you understand when you're in the Godhead. You see how the whole system works. You see about action and reaction. You see a lot of the laws that man, in his highest moments, has touched. He's touched. Just like when Einstein touches. You can see that he broke through. You understand when a man breaks through. Einstein was a pure being, and that's how he touched it he got beyond ego he got into the world of pure ideas he got to the Godhead he saw how it was in that one little place he went through right down the middle right down the middle. and then when you have gone all the way out like Buddha when he sat under the Bodhi tree and he went beyond all the desire and all the attachment that kept him, no matter, kept him being God, even. I mean, it's groovy to be God. You know, if you've just been a little child or been pushed around or been just, you know, a taxpayer, <laughs> wow, not only can you play Nixon,
3: yeah. I mean, don't settle for being president,
2: be God. And then when you've used up all those desires, then you're ready to go through the door. Now, the game is that Buddha sat and he sat there for seven days and he said, well, shall I just hang out here, you know, or shall I come back? And there are many beings that don't, they just finished. They're not, they're not on assignment because they're really finished. See, many of us have gone through every one of those doors. I've been through every one of those doors. I have been into the void. Yet here I am, sitting here in form, thinking in form, seeing in form, most of the time being at the lowest level. Because my desires brought me down. They brought me back all the time. I was not free of attachments, and I had to keep coming back to the level the attachments kept me at. But if you have purified and finished with attachments, that's what renunciation means. you finish finished with attachments. It doesn't mean anything about what you do in the world. It has to do with your inner being. If you've gone the whole trip, then you get into the void and you're in the void and you are eternally, eternally in the still, quiet ocean where the lights of mother and son merge as one. It's all one. It never was and never will be then Buddha saw I mean he had a vision and the vision said from the astral plane or causal plane said sent him on assignment in effect said there are many beings whose veil is very thin and you can come back and teach them and that's the bodhisattva role because you finally understand that though it is all illusion it never was and never will be at every level at which you exist you are part of everybody else. So as long as anybody's hung up, you're still hung up. Because it's all one being, really. That's the Bodhisattva problem. Until everybody makes it, nobody makes it. So what happens is you go all the way out and then you come back. He who clings to the void and neglects compassion. Now what does the word compassion now mean? Compassion only means... A true empathic understanding of how it all is, which you can only understand when you've been in the void. I mean, if somebody comes into me and they bring me their heavy burden of uh, their karmic trip, oh, I'm suffering so, and it's so rough. And I listen to it, and I love them, and I empathize with them, and I feel the sympathy. And at the same moment that I'm doing that, I realize that they don't exist, I don't exist, the problem doesn't exist, none of us ever were, nothing's happening, there's nobody doing anything to anybody, right? That's compassion. And at the same moment, I'm there and saying, yeah, right, I dig how it is. Compassion is being conscious at all levels. That's what compassion is, understanding how it all is everywhere, all the time. He who clings to the void and neglects compassion does not reach the highest stage, but he who practices only compassion does not gain release from the toils of existence. He however who is strong in practice of both remains neither in samskara sanskara, samsara, nor in nirvana. He neither remains in the void nor in the world. The final place that the game leads to is where you live fully consciously in all of it which is in nothing. You are eternal. You have finished perishing. There's no fear of death because you see, it's just a transformation in an illusion. And yet, seeing all that, you still chop wood and carry water. Do you understand that? You still do your thing. You flow in harmony with the universe. You are beyond morality and yet you're a totally moral being because that's the harmony of the universe. You see that to do anything with attachment is only creating more desire which is creating more desire which is creating more desire which is keeping you in the game longer and longer and longer. Keeping you in the illusion. Once you see through that, it can't help but fall away. What are you going to do? You you get all caught up like... I think I'll become famous, wow, boy, am I going to become famous. And you're already laughing at yourself, wow, man, am I going to go on that trip, who am I kidding? All right, here I am, I'm famous, wow, look at that, I'm famous, boy, okay, that's that, now what? i become rich. You ever hang out with really rich people? Busy <laughs> being rich. And finally, the day comes when they say, Yeah, right, I'm rich. So that was what that was about. Then they're getting ready, perhaps, to go through the eye of the needle. Until then, not a chance of a snowball in hell. That final place of pure idea is the place where yin and yang exist it's the place where duality exists, the first place into form from the formless you come into the place where there is energy where there is form and at that point there is polarization and in order to be a truly enlightened being you must delight in the exquisiteness of every single level You must take joy in your maleness or femaleness at the same moment as realizing you are both male and female and you were never either male nor female. That far out. That far out. And if you get attached to being unattached, too bad, you've got a long way to go. I said before, you can't rip it off. It's like the snake skin. It's got to fall away. It's got to fall away like the skin of a snake falling off. It's the only way it can happen. The only way it can happen. We can't rush it. I mean, I'm like, I really understand how this all is, but you see, my intellect's way ahead of where I'm at. I mean, it's so poignant. (laughs) It's so poignant. I mean, knowing all this, I should be an enlightened being. but there's still desires and they get more and more subtle and every time you finish with one it just uncovers a new one I mean there are the gross desires I've got lusting for root beer and you know (laughs) all of the things that still take me on my trip can't rip them away I just can't not desire root beer. What am I going to do? Not desire root beer? Try it. Funny thing. I mean, vows are a complete hypocrisy. You can't take vows about things. You either do them or you don't do them. You think an external vow is going to change the game? It can only change the external act. The external act has nothing to do with renunciation whatsoever. You can be having sex every night and have renounced sex, because what you're renouncing is the attachment, and in fact tantric sex is the highest form, is a very, very high yoga, and it's the yoga of using the sexual energies to become one with God, to go into these higher states. And when you start on any of these trips, be it yoga, I mean Hatha yoga, or Bhakti yoga, or Gyan yoga, or Karma yoga, or Psychedelic yoga, or Tantric yoga, you'll always go into places where you'll get big shots of bliss. Oh, boy, is it good. Remember what my guru brother said, some people get attached, attached, to digging the ecstasy bliss. So good, man. I mean, I just haven't. All my life I've been reaching for that kind of bliss. Sex gave me a little wallop of it. A great achievement would give me a little wallop. Little bit of a drop of this elixir, the stuff, the ambrosia that Padma is holding a big bowl of. <laughs> Man, I really dig that bliss. Oh, boy, have I been starved for bliss. I mean, you know what bliss is? It's total contentment, total serenity. How does that feel? You've got it all. It's like after you've eaten the best possible meal and you sit back. You know, it's like those ads of a guy that's worked hard and he tends back and he's loosened his belt and he's taken off his shoes. He's a workman. He's got his beer on the table and he's sitting back and he's got his feet up and he's, oh, I, know. I can see the Norman Rockwell cover now. <laughs> That's the definition of contentment. That's the eternal place. No matter what he's doing. I mean, everything he did all day up to that moment, he's still in that place when you're in the place. See, that's what I said about if we know who we are, we're not busy being in the drama. You can just know what you have known from tonight, knowing this. If you know this, you're already well, well, well along the way, I'll tell you. And I'm telling you from another guy who's just along the way with you. But I've got a feeling for how it's all uh, unfolds, although there's no time in it. See, I used to be busy. Uh, People said, well, if your guru knows everything, did you ask him when you'll be enlightened? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a funny question. Because when I'm with the guru, I don't have any questions. Because he's all in everything and there's nothing to ask because it's all all right. And the funny thing is, what good is it knowing? (laughs) What do I care? What difference does it make? It's like if you say, where did it all begin? I mean, how did we get stuck in this dilemma in the first place? And Buddha always answers, it's none of your business. Just get on with it. When you get there, you'll know. It's not for your trivial little rational mind to figure out. You're a child when you grow up. Time enough for you to smoke. Don't rush. Don't rush. Just be. Be here now. See, once the seed is planted, then it becomes like what's called the witness inside of you. It's a place inside of you where you see your whole drama unfolding. You see how important you're making it all. How caught, how deep, how significant, how profound. All the (laughs) euphemisms you've got for making it important. Now, this doesn't mean you trivialize life. It doesn't mean you care any less for its divinity or its sacredness or its beauty or its purity. You live it with grace and with exquisite compassion, being aware of its illusion and yet fully in it. If you ever watched a beautiful Zen monk, a very old monk who was like really there, here, really here, there, wherever it is. You watch him. He's cooking food. He's lifting rocks. He's moving. You watch him walk and it's like nobody's walking. You ever watch one of those beings? They just walk and their legs are going and the whole thing's happening but nothing's happening. You get a feeling nothing's happening. He's always a total rest no matter what's happening. And that's what blows your mind when you get out of this the the kind of heads that we've got going, which don't allow us really to understand how this can be. You live out your karma. You live out your karma. The best I can tell you about karma is that if you are pure spirit, if you are not matter, but you are that eternal spirit, you are that eternal energy you are going through a sequence, a series of illusions, if you will, that are training you to finish with illusion. And when you have finished going through all of the carnival sideshows, you begin to see that, in fact, the snake was only a rope. And these are a series of experiences designed, designed. Your life, including, including your heredity your environment every experience you've had every experience you're going to have your death the whole trip is one karmic package and it is programmed completely programmed and you are going through it now and if you understand what I just said you then are in the position of the witness who watches your own karma happen and that is your karma too You got it? There's no level. There's no way out of karma. You got to understand, there's no way out. There's No way out. Except full enlightenment. When you're fully enlightened, you're done with your karma. Fully. Not for a second. Not for a second. Fully. Finish with the trip. Fully enlightened. Once one understands the possibility, once, once, once the seed has been planted, one starts to look for the ways. The ways to get on with the journey, since you suddenly realize, you don't suddenly, but it dawns slowly upon you that that's the only journey there is. There's nothing else to be doing. People say, Why, who are you? I say, I'm somebody who's doing sadhana, I'm on my spiritual path. Say, Why do you do it? And I say, Because that's all there is to do. Nothing else to do. What am I going to do? Go out and have fun? (laughs) Go out and have fun? This is part of my spiritual path, what I'm doing right now. This is my work, because all the time, it's not like I'm not lecturing to you, I'm doing my mantra, I'm keeping centered, I'm watching this drama unfold, I'm working on myself. And every now and then when I'm talking, I get so fascinated with the sound of my own words, I go fast asleep. I get caught in the illusion, and I suck you in too. And here we all are, and there's a speaker, and there's listeners, and here we are in the drama. We all forgot we're just playing Hamlet. And then I feel this thing in my fingers. Oh, wow, god, look, I did it again. <laughs> More root beer. I mean, you're addicting. You're addicting to me. You know. You're hooking me on my desire to try to share with you my experience. That's a trap. That's a desire. That's keeping me here, unfortunately. I mean, when my guru brother said some people get hung up spreading the light, that's my trip. I mean, I can't not do this. This is my thing, because this is my karmic package. All I can do is watch it with absolute horror. (laughs) Horror. The terrible beauty of nature, we say to one another in the
3: Himalayas.
2: <laughs> the terrible beauty of nature. Poor Ramdas, <laughs> You know, he's got to be doing that thing. That's good work. <laughs> See how seductive it is? I mean, that's good. It's important that he does that. You've helped me a great deal. I've really been helped a lot. Thank you. so. Oh, thank you. Who are they thanking? Who are you thanking? There's no me. Thank you. Great. Here we are. Should we play thank thank you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's no thank you. It's just happening. I don't care. I don't really care who I am. It all happened already. Your whole karmic trip's already programmed. I'm just a part of it. There's no accidents doesn't, it's not an accident that you are here. It's not an accident that the guy that was sitting there that couldn't quite got up and left. It's not accidents. all programmed. It's all part of it. All part of it. No accidents. Can you imagine that? No accidents. Got to stand back pretty far to see that. See that. So there are methods, and you'll find the methods, and they're all around you. In fact, your daily life is the most profound method of all, the method of karma yoga. It's the method of waking up through everything that happens. You drink a root beer and you say, wow, dig that. And you don't, and you put yourself down and you say, damn you, you're drinking root beer again, and then you say, wow, dig that.
3: <laughs>
2: you dig the, the judge, oh boy, have we got judges, oh, here comes the judge, boy, he's been around and is, he's not just coming, he's coming and going, he's got a superego it's called, internalized values. We not, we can't practically do anything without judging it. The flower, is it pretty? Is it pretty? You can't almost look at the flower without evaluating it. It's very hard for you to sit here and just be here, let all this stuff happen without judging. Is it good? Is it right? Is it wrong? Will it help me? That's the trap. That's part of the trap. And so, what gets really exquisite is not when you dig root beer, but when you start to watch your own thoughts. When you realize that thoughts are like birds flying across the blue sky. And when you realize that when you're finally along in the journey, you'll notice that your mind is completely empty. You are mindlessly doing what you're doing. Just become a vegetable. Mindlessly floating along, it's all happening. It's all happening. Oh, Why? Wow. No doer. It's just happening. No doer. No doer. Buddha says, as long as there is a doer, you are still stuck on the wheel of births and deaths. No doer. No doer at all. It's all happening. This is just happening. We are all witnesses to this happening life is a happening (laughs) monstrous happening people ask how do I go on with my studies if I believe this what do I do next you be next you're doing it right now there's no next it's right now right now everything you're doing is a vehicle to wake up what do I do? I do a thing called Ashtanga Yoga. If you want to read about it, there are books that they're called Raja Yoga. One book's called, a little book called How to Know God by Pravananda Nishwa. They're all concerned with a set of early writing sutras by Patanjali. And the Patanjali sutras were written maybe 500 B.C. to 500 A.D., somewhere in there from older ideas. And this business, this technique of yoga merely says, all of, yoga is so exquisite, it's not like body beautiful like most Westerners think of yoga. When I came to Los Angeles from India, I was sitting in the American Airlines terminal between planes, I mean, this was so far out after having been in the Himalayas and, you know, living in the Bible for the last eight months. And suddenly you're in the American Airlines super plastic domain and you're, you know, (laughs) sitting with a beard and a dress, barefooted in American Airlines. Some soldiers came up on the way back from Vietnam. They looked at me very... (laughs) I don't know how. They what do you think you are? Some kind of a yogurt?
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Out of the mouths of baby. So profound. <laughs> yoga means union yoga is a systematic method for cutting through the game cutting through the illusion I mean if you're doing hatha yoga you're not just getting your body beautiful what you're doing is turning your body into a vehicle for prayer for transcendence of ego every asana is a perfect mudra is a perfect statement of form, just like a beautiful work of art. And you put your body in that place and you center and you go outside of your ego and the body becomes a statement of a higher thing. That's what hatha yoga is at its highest. Hatha means the conjunction of the moon and the sun. Very high form of yoga. Bhakti yoga, the yoga of love and of worship. Boy, if there's any yoga that is groovy for we heavy minds... Is bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga is the way in the Kali Yuga, Allen Ginsberg chants. And he's right, man, it's absolutely true. Love is such a powerful technique to get high, you can't believe it. Not interpersonal love, not the love of Sadie and Frank, not yin and yang love, not lust. Not subject-object love, not I love her or him or it, but we are love. Be love. It's very simple. Just be love. See? Love equals energy equals consciousness. Remember that? Be love. Simple enough. Try it. Very far out. No attachment. You don't need anything. You don't need anybody to love you. You are love. Everybody around you feels your warmth, your light, your love, because you're just being love. Man. You just turn into liquid love. Because everybody you look at is that same place. I mean, if I dig that it's all illusion, you're in the illusion as much as me. When I look at you, do I see your illusion? No, I look right through the illusion, I see the love, I see the light. You are love, too, so I look at love like, here we are, we're love. So it's no, come on, I'm not saying, come on and love me, baby. <laughs> Do you love me enough? I'll love you if you love me. <laughs> None of that. That isn't the level of love. It's the sea of love. It's the be of love. The be of love. It's a be in. Be in. Be in here. Human being. You man, be in here and now. You man, be in. Bhakti yoga. Gyan yoga. The yoga of meditation. The beautiful yoga of the mind going beyond the mind. You calm the mind down and down and down until so you bring it down to one-pointedness. Then like a laser beam, you turn it in on itself and you burn right through the middle. And you go behind the thought of I, go behind the mind. Zen Buddhism. All kinds of monastic upayas or methods. Ramana Maharshi, so on. Called Gyan Yoga, Vedanta Gyan Yoga. Gyan Yoga. I mean, New York City is absolutely crawling with opportunities. You know, they're weird little places, and a lot of them aren't pure enough. And it's up to you to be in it and see what you can get from it, and be with it, and be open to it. And if you don't feel the vibes are good, be compassionate. You don't have to sit and evaluate. You'll just hear what you can hear. You'll get the message you can get a message from. I mean, I can go to the Baptist or Methodist Church up in New Hampshire, and I can get a great message, although they don't even know they're sending it anymore.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate all the support for the foundation and for Ramdas's work and we hope that you will continue that support. You can go to ramdas.org and click on the donate now button and follow the prompts. Thank you.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What do you need to get off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, develop positive coping skills, and much more.